0: I tell the boys this story all the time is I remember Richie Monger when he was 19 years old and we were running some, uh, some really difficult steer steer running here in Christchurch and, um, as a training session on Friday night. And I remember it was a really tough session. It was hot and the boys were, you know, they were really hurting. And I can remember Richie the whole way up the stairs, just talking, 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 come on boys, encouraging them. And he was running, you know, just like the rest of us were. And, um, you know, we, I don't know, we did about 10 repeats, and the whole time he was just talking, talking, talking to them. And then at the end he goes, boys, boys, this is, this is what we live for every day, you know, rah, rah, rah. But he goes, the reason I'm talking is, he goes, I'm hurting as much as you guys, but he goes, one, it takes the pain away from me, and it gives you energy. Mm-hmm. It's the top two inches, as, as we always talk about, that, that make the difference between the guys that succeed or the guys that even excel um, compared to the guys that just succeed. There's other things going on in society with, with young people and you know, resilience is a really challenging space for a lot of our young people because they haven't they haven't actually experienced a lot of failure in life. But it was mm-hmm. all about me. It was my ego, it was me going, I wanna Yeah, I had a full year of really rough um post-concussion issues
1: hey hope you're keeping well i'm brian moilett former rugby player now high performance mindset coach and welcome to the pod this podcast is about well-being and high performance and in it you will learn how you can be happier more fulfilled and more successful in what you're doing I recently wrote the book on how you become a pro rugby player Forward by Robbie Henshaw which went to number one in the charts and you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect with me now over on social media at Brian Moylet at Offfield Rugby and my website is offfieldrugby.com If you enjoy the pod, please subscribe to it and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on some friends. would really appreciate that. Alright, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. So I'm in Rugby Park with Aaron Webb, Crusaders Academy Manager. Cheers for jumping on, Aaron. Oh,
0: thanks for having me. Yeah, pretty excited to be here. Cheers. So,
1: Friday, how has your week been and what have you been up to?
0: Uh, yeah, it's been a busy week this week. Uh, semi-finals week for Super Rugby, so, uh, The team's obviously been trying to get prepared and i have a little bit of a role in transitioning players between the academy and the team so um everyone will be aware we've had a few injuries this week so um a few of our guys have had to come in and and be replacement players for the week Uh, so a little bit of that uh the rest of our academy boys are on exams at university this week so just trying to hone our program down to the basics for this week so um trying to get that all sorted, and then it's June, July, the time of year at the moment it's talent identification for us as well, so that's for new players for our academy, it's for our rep teams for under-19s, for both Canterbury and Tasman, um, so yeah it's a busy time of year actually, but really exciting and, and I, I guess we're privileged because we get to see all these young guys trying to be the best that they can be on the field and off the field in, in any given week. So. Um, yeah and just excited to watch the team play tonight as well
1: class yeah will be a good one yeah um, it will
0: be you mentioned
1: there like your role with the seniors or how do you kind of link in with them or how does that work
0: yeah so uh our academy obviously feeds the team um, and so part of my role is uh working with razor and the rest of the coaching group on on when players are ready to move from one to the other uh, it's also part of my role is helping transition those players in when they do go in for the first time. So as you can imagine, um, you know it's it's a big even though they might have been in our academy for three years, um, it's still a huge transition into the team. So giving them the support that they need from outside the team um, while they move in there. So it looks different for every player, but sometimes that's just catching up with them once or twice in that week that they're first in there. Um, a lot of it is planning what they're going to do before they actually start, so what players they're going to connect with, uh, what kind of questions they're going to ask those guys, what they should be looking for in the older players, what kind of information they should be looking to see and then maybe actually discuss with those guys. Um, also giving them a little bit of insight into the coaches and, and how they operate so they can learn quickly how to connect with them and generally just uh, not pumping their tyres but giving them confidence that they're, they're ready to be there because if they weren't ready they wouldn't have got selected and uh, I know I've listened to some of your other podcasts and you know the imposter syndrome is, is talked about a lot and, and we talk about it not so much with the players but we, we know it's there so we're always trying to help them I guess move from the oh, man, I'm here with all the guys I've been watching on TV for years. Mm. I don't think I really belong to the, hey, I'm, I've been selected. I'm good enough to be here. I need to start to believe that, and, and then they can perform. Yeah, so, so, yeah, there's a whole lot of different little pieces that go into it, and every individual's different, so you kind of have to know them well enough to go, right, what angle do I need to work with on this, this young guy?
1: cool yeah. yeah so over the kind of like you say the three years it's obviously quite general you're, you're building up everyone and helping everyone you know GMS and see all that kind of stuff and then that kind of week before a week of, it's not hand-holding but kind of like very close coaching mm-hmm.
0: to help them assimilate yeah and, and I, I guess the, the challenge as there is for all academies is you just never know when the player is going to go to the next level so We've got plans and and we're working way ahead in our roster and figuring in when guys are going to um, move into the team. But if there's an injury or um, you know somebody decides to sign with another team or go overseas, things happen quickly sometimes. Um, you know, we, we always say to the players, you never know how close you are, and then you know two weeks later they could be in the team playing. Yeah. So two weeks ago, two halfbacks, um, or Joel Lamb from mm-hmm. from the club that you're involved with and. And Louis Chapman from up in Tasman, both academy boys. Uh, Louis graduated, but you know, all of a sudden they got the call up. You know, and I said to Joel during the week, you know, you could potentially be on the bench, which I'd had some inside information that that might happen. And I don't think he was really thinking that was going to happen. And then all of a sudden it did, and he made his debut. So I'd had to do a little bit of prep work with him during that week, but we've got a general plan you know over a two to three year period that we're working with the guys and building up their skill set their their coping strategies their mental skills um, their physical um, body and, and all of that kind of stuff but sometimes that gets accelerated you know really quickly because uh yeah especially this year i guess we've had a lot more injuries than normal um so guys have had opportunities and the, the one thing we say to them right from the day that they walk in the door is when an opportunity comes you want to be ready to take it uh, so that's our job is to help prep them in that way and so when they get there it's not a stressful experience for them Yep, it'll be they will be nervous and, and that's normal but uh, they're not going to be completely stressed out that they can't perform at the level that they should
1: yeah that's cool because yeah, as you'll, if you listen if you mind you'll know that, that kind of side of things I'm really interested in because when I was growing up it was all like s and c and on the field and just so focused on that and when you speak when one speaks about getting ready to step up in a level when I was younger, I just only would have thought of am, am I lifting heavy enough yeah. am I uh, you know good enough at clearing rocks or winning lineouts mm. and but obviously yeah there's just that other side to it
0: yeah, and i you know i I, I say this to them when they come in that um Yeah, you guys are all great rugby players the the technical the tactical the physical all ends up being very similar you know within five percent of each other it's the it's the top two inches as as we always talk about that that make the difference between the guys that succeed or the guys that even excel um compared to the guys that just succeed so um absolutely and that's you know we see it all the time throughout their journey in the academy but then you see it once they get into a team as well and um, you know some players that that I've worked with over the years you'll see them get into a team and they just don't believe in themselves Uh, and as soon as they don't believe in themselves that's when the issues start coming and the cracks start appearing in their game and um, they get found out pretty quickly but if they can if we can help them with that side of it and we've got some specialist um, qualified people in our program that do that but you know all of us are doing the same you know, it's it's all life skills, mental skills, um, performance skills, whatever you want to call it. They're all they're all um, we've all experienced them in life somewhere. Not might be on the field, might be off the field. So, any advice that we can give and conversations we can have to ease the stress of transition from one place to another um, to help them succeed is is really big in our environment. And that might be um, you know the transition from school to university or school to work or school to a uh, rugby program or colts rugby to premier level rugby or um colts rugby to canterbury under 19s yeah there, there's all there's multiple transition points so our job is to help them navigate through those and once once they're in there and they've, they're getting that advice on either side of the transition point often they'll just start to flourish and, and then off they go and then there'll be another transition point at some stage and it might be one of us or it might be someone else that's kind of helping them through that cool yeah
1: and what would be some things that you see players say you, the successful ones and unsuccessful ones so the players that go through the academy and then thrive versus the players say who don't uh, graduate from the academy yeah what would be some differences there because obviously when you select them all you're thinking they're all have the potential to kick on
0: yeah well, there's probably two, two or three key things. <clears throat> One is that the, the guys that don't make it are often the ones that, that just don't put the work in, you know, so they're, they're not working hard enough. Um, and then the, the other point, I believe, from what I've seen and been in this role for 10, 10 years is that they don't the boys that don't drive themselves. So what, what I mean by that is we've got a really good program set up for them But that's the kind of base program, Mm. that's the bare minimum that they get. It's the ones that drive themselves, that ask for more, that are proactive, that will seek out coaches and seek out feedback. They they won't take everything on that they get from the feedback, because their job's to sift all the information they get and take the important stuff out. But those are generally the guys that will go to the next level, to the next level, because they can handle the mental um, side of the game because they're always learning. Um, they've got a good work ethic, so when they get into the next level of a game, when it takes more work to understand their role or to analyse their opposite player, uh, the opposition player, they can do all of that. And then they're asking people around them because they're curious learners. Uh, they're going, "Okay, well, okay, this guy's doing this in the line out. So how how do you reckon I combat that? You know." Whereas if they don't if they're just a bare minimum guy, then they, they'll never get to those next levels um, of the of their understanding of the game, let alone performance. So that'd be the two key things, I think, from my end. Yeah,
1: that growth mindset is huge.
0: Yeah, it is. And that's something that we focus on right from the day they arrive. You know, because when, um, you know, when you walk in the door of this place, it's intimidating. You know, it's, you're, you're looking at, the we've got an honors board down there with all the names on it of the guys that have been through the academy that have been crusaders have been all blacks and you know the players are kind of looking at that and going wow I'm, that's not me i'm not at that level mm-hmm. but so so what our job is to do is to get them to embrace the fact that they're going to fail along the mm-hmm. way multiple times um and actually encourage it so you know we set up all of our trainings like that so we talk about it at the start. Hey this is what we're trying to achieve out of this training, but you, there's going to be mess, there's going to be times when you're going to fail. There's times where we want you to put yourself in a place where you know you're going to fail. So a good example of that is some of our tight forwards who um, you know, aren't as skilled as, as some of our loose forwards in our backs. You know, We want them to get into first receiver when we're doing run catch pass stuff where they're going to have to make decisions under pressure. You know, Because if they're not going to do it at training here, they're never going to do it in a game. Um, and if they don't experience failing here then how do they learn you know because unless we fail we don't learn you know it's you don't just magically be able to do something um without ever having tried it before so yeah that's a really important step for us in that growth mindset uh challenge for them and then we actually set up some stuff for them to do we um down the other end of rugby park there we've got some big trees and between two of them we put a um a slack line out there um which is like a kind of a tight rope that's maybe two feet off the ground and we give them three or four months to try and figure out how to get across it we don't give them any any tips any instructions that's all it is Um, we can see it from our office Um, we can see it from lots of multiple places in rugby park but we probably never spend any time standing next to them while they're doing it and it's just watching and and seeing the process of growth mindset or not for some players Um, yeah and we use that as a metaphor for them as they go on in the journey so um, a few years ago when we were in lockdown um, we set about four growth mindset challenges for them to try and do from and we had no idea when we were coming out of lockdown so um, you know we said right these are the three or four challenges Wh- whenever we come out whether that's in three weeks or a month or whatever um, we'll have a day where you're going to try and perform those in front of the crew you know and the process of learning was amazing you know they were on their own they were not with us we were all connected, but um, the process that they went through of fail, learn, fail, adjust, ask for help, um, yeah, it's incredible. And, and that's, I, I think that's one of the biggest differences in, in any professional sports people is if they've got a growth mindset, they'll get better and better throughout their career you know, until the physical decline happens.
1: Mm, yeah. That's class, yeah, I love that. Mm. What were the challenges
0: uh, we had we had a soccer ball juggle so um, just 30 30 feet juggles or feet or knees um, we had a um, handstand well it started off with a handstand walk of 10 meters which we decided was too too <laughs> difficult uh, so then we got into a five meter or just a, a holding handstand for as long as you could and we also had a unicycle um that we had started previous to that to that but we only had one or two of them so we managed to um, get a few boys on those beforehand. But you know, again, just the process of something that's so foreign to our rugby guys, because virtually none of them could do a handstand, walking handstand beforehand. Soccer ball juggling, a couple of them were kind of okay at it, but most of them were hopeless. And then um, the unicycle, no one. Yeah, so like a foreign completely foreign concept yeah. so every year we try to have one um, one of those that we think that no one pretty much no one in our group has e- ever done um, and then yeah just see how it goes and some years it's awesome you know like you'll have 80% of your crew will, will get close to achieving it and then some years you'll get guys that won't even have a go and generally if you kind of put a line in the sand those guys that don't have a go are probably the ones that don't Don't go on too far.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's Mm. class, and I love. I know that that's obviously not directly rugby specific, but that idea of learning and just letting people go and figure it out for themselves, and it's something I've found. Say doing kicking with players, and they're kind of like, "And what do I do now? What do I?" And, And you know, they just want more to to talk them through every single step and and a big part of it is getting the bag of balls and just kicking and feeling and finding out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I th- I'm a, that's philosophically that's the way I coach and, and I'm not a you know I don't consider myself to be a coach, but when I do coach um, I try to use the players to to grow each other because at the end of the day it's been nearly 30 years since I was able to play. Um rugby and so I haven't done it for such a long time that I've actually forgotten completely what it's like to be under that kind of pressure in a contact sport, play a lot of touch and, and flag and all that kind of stuff but um, you know so actually getting the players to do that themselves is, is really important and we just did a halfback session yesterday afternoon and um, you know 40 minutes of skill stuff and it was all driven by the players. All I did was facilitate and ask a couple of questions here and there. Um, to prompt their discussion and yeah you're right they, they've got a, they've got all the solutions mm. they just don't know it because they, they look at you, at you as a coach and go oh, well he's going to give me the answer um, and yeah I'm huge I mean we've we got 25 guys in our programs if we can't figure out an answer from those 25 yeah. guys there's something wrong you know um, so it's yeah it, it, and that, I love that part of it because that's what I see as real youth development you know is young men leading young men not some old guy like me leading young men I can set up the little the I guess the system and and facilitate it a little bit but if they're leading each other then we've got gold you know coming
1: out 100% and so what is your like academy manager We you say like I'm not a coach and I know it's definitely complex but what yeah so what is your
0: (laughs) yeah how long have we got (laughs) um I think the best way to describe it is uh, I'm a father, a big brother, um, a mentor, a coach, a mother. <laughs> um, all of those things all at the same time. Um, but I feel like my role is to try and help set up a process and a system that helps young... young. And I only work with the men. I don't work with the women, so I'm only going to talk about men, but it'd be the same with, with young girls. Um, helps young men grow from the day they walk in the door to the day they walk out and rugby's just the process we get to use and that's why we're so privileged to have a job like this because um you know I've come from the education sector and um you know this is for me this is like the dream job because I'm working and developing helping them develop themselves um through the tool of rugby uh, so you know I, yeah, I do some coaching on the grass I do talent ID um I work with the players on their mental side of their game. I've, I know a little bit about nutrition now, I know a little bit about the medical side. You kind of, I guess you have to have a handle on almost all the aspects of the game and, and teenage life. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you are just a confidant for, for a young man who can't talk to his parents about some things and um, sometimes you, you know, <laughs> you're with them at their worst times Um, you know so you sometimes you're just a listener Um, sometimes you are the person who brokers the professional help that they might need for um, physical mental illness Um, sometimes you are the person who's helping them understand how to go and ask a coach a question and you're prompting them to be brave and and be courageous in a conversation and sometimes you're just listening to them talk about you know how hard it is to live away from their family or the pressure that you know they have because they have to provide for their family if they uh, um, you know might be back in the islands um, you know south pacific islands and they're having to get a rugby contract to feed and and educate their family back home so it's such a wide variety of things but At the end of the day my job is to help these guys grow and develop over two or three years and and they do most of the work we just facilitate along the way
1: cool Mm. and yeah that must be yeah challenging the the, like different players have different external challenges we'll say outside of like all the different potentially rugby things
0: Mm. yeah they do yeah and i I think that's what makes the job so exciting you know Mm. it's every cohort of players we have is really different. Every individual within those cohorts is different. And, and like I said earlier, I've been here 10 years and you know, I work with 18 to 21 year old males, 22 maybe, um, which is you know, quite a challenging group to work with. But you know, that, that cohort has changed over 10 years dramatically. When I, the guys that were in here when I first arrived compared to who's coming out of school now, you know, these these guys are 10 years or 11 years difference so they've grown up with um, you know social media throughout their lives and you know we were training eight nine years ago we we're training guys not to do silly stuff on social media well the boys that come in now are so much more savvy and they know how to use social media to their advantage and um, you know they know how to also have their privacy settings and all of those kind of things in the right spot so you you know, you're, you're talking completely. Like that conversation is completely flipped over now, um, and the same with you know, there's there's other things going on in society with with young people, and you know, resilience is a really challenging space for a lot of our young people because they haven't they haven't actually experienced a lot of failure in life, and they certainly haven't been encouraged to fail <laughs> until they get here, and so that's a whole new concept. So, yeah, you've got. Um, everything's really different and we've got players here who are local who have come from the South Island or the North Island to go to university Uh, from the Pacific Islands they might have come over to go to high school and then like being good rugby players and now they've stayed here trying to be professional players plus hold down a job Uh, so you've got all sorts of different backgrounds and, and that's what makes it I guess really exciting and challenging because you're always you're trying to uh, analyse the human being, not mm. the rugby player, um, and figure out what makes that human being tick and what excites them, what challenges them, how you can help them unlock some of those things that they're stuck on at the moment. Um, yeah, it's probably, yeah, maybe we should have a psychology degree, I don't know, <laughs> to work here, but it's, it's cool. I love that part of it. Yeah, yeah it's really class. exciting.
1: And the social media is an interesting one, isn't it, kind of? Mm. that that whole side of things
0: yeah it is I think um I personally don't partake in it so that's and that's a personal choice I've made but um yeah I, I see both sides you know I see guys that really flourish from what they do on there and how they use it and then I see other guys that you know can be absolutely crushed by um by the I guess the power of of the people and opinion and um, that kind of stuff, but I always look at those and I talk to the players about it as massive learning opportunities for them because, you know, we, we all in life, everyone experiences that kind of inner voice that's saying they like me, they don't like me, they love me, they don't love me. Um, And actually for our players, it's a really important thing to control that voice because it's what's going to hold them back or push them forward. Uh, So, you know, if they have been in school and they've had a school game on TV and they've scored an amazing try and won the game, then they're a hero. Um, But then they might have a game three weeks later and they've done the opposite and they're an absolute villain. Yeah, and them learning how to deal with those ups and downs is, is part of life you know we all have to do it uh, not all on a uh, public scale but we all have to do it within our own heads and and i think that's uh, i guess that's part of our role as as um adults <laughs> older people who have had a lot of those experiences but i don't necessarily think it's a lot different it's just the context is different in my view of what happens on social media versus what happened in normal what happens in normal life and and there's maybe more people involved but the pain is similar it doesn't matter if 50,000 people think you're a hero or 50,000 people think you're a villain to, to ten people it's still the same pain or, or um, excitement it's just learning how to deal with it and, and how to capture the positive mindset towards it yeah um, yeah, because I think a, b- a big part of it is, like,
1: I'm on it and just, um, it's always at your fingertips and it's, it's we all know, like, the phones are addictive, like, we're all, mm. I think, mm, you, we all know that and you get that urge to open your phone when you're bored and that's, like I say, before it, um, players, you might read a paper or yeah. you might get abused from a stand, but... Mm the paper comes out every morning or this you know it's not every single moment of every day
0: yeah uh, yeah and that's all um you know we educate the guys and and you know you try to educate them on how to manage that side of it but you're right it's really addictive and it's and it's difficult not to but i think if they end up having a really negative experience in there Mm. that's the opportunity is to to kind of unpack that and and actually go okay if you, if you were in this situation again what would you do differently how could you what can you control because you know mm-hmm. as you will have talked to a lot of your guests about a lot of of the mental side of life is all about what we control and what we have control over and, and most of that stuff we don't have any control over so you're kind of trying to get them back to what what is in their locus mm-hmm. of control and um you know and that's the sport that we talk about as well you know it's in the game as well, so inside and outside of the game is, what do you control? How can you influence? Can you influence? If you can not influence, then you've got to drop it and, and let it go. And it's hard. It's not as easy as I'm making it sound. But um, I also think that young people have to go through those experiences to to come out the other end. It's no different than like like I said earlier, than being a first receiver <laughs> catching the ball and under pressure. If you don't ever do it, you'll never know how to react to it. And, are the same so uh, around that social side of things I think yeah
1: yeah 100% it ties back to that failure and awareness of it and learning from it
0: yeah it does and yeah uh, that's just huge and, and it, I don't know I'm, I'm you know I'm 50 years old and I'm kind of probably a little bit old school but I think that I, I see young people not having the opportunities to fail as much yeah. as as I did when I was a kid and um, yeah, life was completely different then but Um, you know sometimes now we see people parents and I'm a parent as well um, you know they don't want their kids to fail and they don't want to see them hurt but at the same time how are they going to learn they've got to they've got to fail at some stage and they're going to we all know that and you don't want that to be on the biggest stage when they haven't done it 500 times beforehand um, because then they're going to be really hurt
1: yeah Yeah, big time and yeah, I didn't quite understand them when I was younger, but you hear like all the quotes from Michael Jordan, Kobe, LeBron James, all these ones like I failed over and over again, that's why mm-hmm. I succeed. Like I said, in so many different ways, like, and that's what the best understand and what they explain. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think. I suppose the players here are lucky in that you're encouraging it but it's not always the case and I suppose when they're teenagers maybe in school like you say you might get them and they're very adverse to failing mm. and yes definitely people have been done an injustice by
0: trying to avoid it mm. yeah I totally agree and I think we um, I think with those those particular players that come into our environment like that I reckon it takes us about two years to get them to really buy into the concept of it. Um, and that's a long time. You know, you think that's 700 days. Um, th- that's a long time of repeated messaging and then seeing other people doing it and then finally kind of stepping wow. over the line themselves and going, oh, okay, I think, I, I think I'm brave enough to do this yeah. now. Um, and that's a, you know I, I, I kind of think about it and think man when I was their age I, I think it would have taken me a long time to embrace that stuff as well um, yeah because you're 18 like you said you know I, mean, I know I've listened to enough of your stuff to know you, a little bit about your journey and um, you just don't know what you don't know when you're 18 you know and, and 19 and, and I see a real change when they hit 21 it's just this, it's almost like a, the old light bulb goes on and you know, and we all know um, if we've done any research on the male teenage male brain that um, you know our brains <laughs> don't really function properly until we're in our thirties. You know, so um, at eighteen it's probably working at about a third of its capacity. But um, I do definitely see at that twenty-one marker that often the light bulb goes on. It's not maybe shining fully bright, but it's on, and then you see them start to to pick up stuff and. Then, and, and I always try to put myself back in my 18-year-old shoes when I'm working with these guys because I think there's nothing worse than, you know, looking at them as as an older person and an adult mm. and going, oh, why aren't they doing that? And mm. You know, and then it's actually, if you think about when you were 18, you go, yeah, I wouldn't have done that when I was 18. Even if someone had told me 10 times, I probably would have had to be told 20 times and then it would have finally gone in, you know, so it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just repetitive messaging over and over and over not not giving in to um, the fact that they're not maybe picking it up yet because over time they will and I, I can't remember who the quote's from but I've, I always remember this quote that um, you know that good leaders um, sow seeds that they never see grow you know and I kind of have that mindset mm. of whatever we're doing when they're 21 uh, or 18 to 21 is that's actually going to be 10 years down the track or maybe 20 years down the track when they one day go to their own kid, hey, you know, you're going to have to be, you have to embrace failure and, and then you kind of go, oh yeah, maybe that's, that's come from when his, in his time in the academy or, um, you, you know, we do get, we're lucky we do get to sit on the rugby field and off the field a bit, but, um, you know, what are they doing in 30 years from now will partly be influenced by what they've experienced here. Yeah, yeah 100 percent, and that's
1: coaching as well to an extent in that like at kind at lots of different ages you know you mightn't see it in the week in a week or a month or like if you're coaching 18 19 year olds exactly like you're not going to see it and something that i find challenging when i'm say with coaches who it's all about winning at the weekend and of course you got to win and but at different levels we'll say you know and You have to help the player grow versus just tell them what it is that will maybe win at the weekend and constantly looking week to week
0: yeah yeah you're right i mean i started coaching when i was 18 and i'm mortified at the type of coach i was at 18 (laughs) (laughs) compared to now yeah but that's part of the learning journey right And, and i say to our players i say to them i'm embarrassed about what i did when i first came into the academy 11 years ago when i look at what i'm doing now but i said if i'm not Embarrassed, then I haven't grown. Mm. And I said, You should be the same. You know, you should be looking at what you were doing when you came into the academy and what you're doing a year later and look back and go, Oh, I didn't know anything then, or I was so, you know, so naive. But I said, If you're looking back and going, Oh, yeah, I'm pretty much doing the same thing now that I was then, then you're in trouble. And, and as coaches, I think we're the same, you know. Yeah. It's like if we're not, if we're looking back and going, Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much the same as I was five years ago, then something's wrong.
1: Hey, Brian here. I work one-on-one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more and maximise their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation, and the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an S C program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, You can book a free thirty-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media at Brian Moylet at Offfield Rugby, or the website offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode.
0: Yeah, I was all about winning, but it was all about me. It was my ego. It was me going, I want it, I want this team to win. I mean, these kids were at 11 years old. They didn't give a shit if they won or lost. They might be happy for five minutes after the game before they got their ice cream or whatever it was that they won, but in the afternoon after, they didn't care whether they won or lost or whatever happened. And But for me as a coach, it was like my ego was invested in it. And then uh, I coached at Colts level for a long time, and um, 10 years actually, and... I think in year three or four i finally woke up to myself and went oh hey this coaching thing's not actually about me it's about Mm -hmm. the players and that's when i started to discover the whole youth development kind of process that i'm on or journey i'm on now is actually i'm actually really pretty good at helping young people grow from one point to another The, the rugby someone else is way better at that than me um mainly the players and um you know the journey should be about me helping that person be the best they can be at the stage that i'm working with them and then in the future maybe something i've given them might help them be better again in the future but maybe 50 other people have contributed to that same message along their journey um yeah and i think once you get over the ego of coaching then you you can actually be a really good coach (laughs) it's a funny world isn't it Big
1: time. I yeah. had the same realization or transition, kind of like from a player, player coach, when I went to the states, and yeah, all about winning, still about me, and then mm. I don't know what it was, but I just yeah, a penny dropped, and yeah, you start to take a step back and kind of yeah, realize it's not about you.
0: Yeah, and and I couldn't tell you why that happened to me or when it happened, but. It just yeah, one I just one day I walked into training and I was like it was just different you know and I felt different and I just started approaching things differently and I got way more satisfaction out of seeing a young man mm. who couldn't look me in the eye at the start of the year and have a conversation about his family or whatever it was to this end of the season we're talking about his degree and his family and his dreams and all these other things and I'm going that is awesome Oh, yeah you've improved as a rugby player that's good too but um that other part of it was what i got my kick out of and that's when i started to realize that if we get all that side of it right the rugby takes care of itself because they're just naturally growing because they're more confident they're asking more questions they're seeking more information which is all those things i talked about earlier um that lead to, to the guys that become successful professional rugby players but the outcomes that i look for here are they are that but um otherwise i wouldn't have a job but um personally i'm looking at all the other outcomes just as importantly and you know if um richie moanga is a really good example you know he's come through the academy with us and um you know i love the fact that he's an all black um, and you know and been a really successful crusader but what i love equally or probably even more is the fact that he's an amazing ambassador in our community he works really hard with the child cancer foundation and um, you know works with families who have, who have got terrible things going on in their lives um, you know he, he owns a racehorse that uh, he gives all the proceeds to the cancer foundation you know th- that's the stuff that makes me kind of really proud of what what we might have helped him on his journey with it's certainly not the be all and end all it wasn't us it was him but we've helped a little bit and we that's that that's what I get the kicks out of yeah brilliant that,
1: yeah and chat me about your journey just before we jumped on we we're chatting a little bit but um your journey to getting here 10 years ago or 11 years ago yeah yeah
0: it was kind of varied and a little bit strange but um yeah I um, yeah qualified outdoor educationalist uh, so I worked in the outdoor industry for quite a long time and then um, managed to uh, i worked over in the United States for a long time, worked in some summer camps and um, some outdoor education places there, and then uh, came back to New Zealand and worked in what I call alternative education. So that's the kids that, you know, have had a really challenging time at school, being exited from mainstream school by the um, system, but they still have to legally be in education. So, um, yeah, the some of them are, Really naughty kids. Um, Some of them are kids who have just been, have had upbringings that you just wouldn't believe if if I told you. Um, And then others are just, you know, really kids who just didn't have a lot of confidence. And our job was to try and mould all those those young, you know, the 13 to 16 year olds together. We used sport as a massive tool um, in our education work. But again, like I was talking about a bit earlier, it's about learning how to understand the person um and then how to unlock their potential so i did that for about six years and then um went into went back to university and did a master's in sport management and then just yeah did some work in the sport industry for about four years and right place right time i when i came in here um i think that the canterbury and the crusaders were looking for change all the guys the uh, academy managers before me had all been professional coaches or aspiring professional coaches and when I came in I said look if that's what you want then we might as well not bother going any further and interview because that's not me that's not who I am Um, this is what I think the role would require and um, you know more of a youth development outlook and um, I said we've got five or six professional coaches in the building they can do all the coaching Um, my job is to help them be the best they can be so yeah, it's a, it was a funny journey to get here, and I wouldn't say that um, this was where I wanted to go. Uh, it wasn't, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't in the plan. But um, once I got here, I knew this was a really important job for me and something I knew that I loved, um, but something I, I knew I could contribute to this, this club. And, you know, I, I, I'm so lucky I've had a legacy of amazing um people have come in before i have into this role and and set it all up and my job is just to try and transition it from where it was to modern to the modern society that we live in now and um leave it in a place that someone else can take it over and and do that again and um yeah i'm just i'm really thankful to the people that they took a huge risk to i guess bring me in here and um try something different hopefully it's paid off both sides for for the club and and the players um, you know that have been part of the program and you you know I'd hope if you were talking to some of them out on the grass they would say that Um, but yeah it's been it's been a cool journey and then the 10 years I've been here like like I said it's it's like coming to Disneyland every day you know you check your your ticket in at the front door and, and you come and it's like rides and popcorn and all that kind of stuff every day yeah yeah, brilliant. Cool. Yeah, brilliant. And then rugby-wise, like
1: you mentioned about coaching Colts, and we were chatting earlier about playing a little, playing a yeah. bit in, in the yeah. states. And so, yeah, chat to me about them. You're as was well playing and then coaching.
0: Yeah, I started playing when I was six years old. Uh, I was a front rower for oh, about twelve years, which um, I think they just put all the uncoordinated kids there <laughs> yeah. at that age. <laughs> um, and I was probably a little bit chubby at that stage as well. So. Um, And then realised I was tiny, um, so transitioned to halfback, uh, played sort of age group representative stuff here in Canterbury, and and then a bit of senior club footy. And then I went over to the States and played a couple of seasons over there, but I had just too many concussions and and neck injuries. Uh, And at 23, I had to stop playing. And and I was devastated because it had been my kind of life, I thought, at that stage. Um, yeah, and I, I had nothing to do with rugby for a couple of years after that. I just couldn't handle it, um, not being able to play. And yeah, it was, it was really hard. And then I, I um, moved back to New Zealand uh, when I was 26, 27. And um, yeah, a mate of mine convinced me to coach. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to do it. I'd done it when I was in university, but I, I, no, nah, I, I don't really want to do it. Anyway, he convinced me, and I probably fell in love with it in the second week of training. You know, it was kind of, oh, this is awesome. I'm back in a team environment, and um, yeah, and and working with Colts-aged players, I really enjoyed it because I knew that they were just so open to learning. They'd just come out of school, mm-hmm. most of them, and, um, you yeah, know, they had a bit of fun and as with their rugby as well, which I found, thought was really important because, I'd probably played in the old school era when um, you know, I was so excited to play senior rugby but when I got there it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be because it was a lot of um, hierarchy and all sorts of other things that were going on That I was kind of going, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. Um, so, you know, at Colts level it was fun, the guys played for the just the love of the game and the love of each other and um, yeah, like I said, I coached 10 years of Colts and realised at Uh, Because people keep asking me, "Oh, when are you going to move up and coach Premier Rugby and I say, well, there's no point in me doing that because this is where I can be of real use. Um, I'm not an aspiring professional coach or I'm not trying to be the best rugby coach I can be. I'm just trying to be the best coach I can be and um, help help out some young people so when this role came along. I kind of looked at it as being a role where I could utilise the skill set I've developed through that and through my professional life and um, help these young guys navigate through a pretty tricky time of their life and potentially uh, be a professional rugby player or at least uh, get as much out of their talent as they could, which yeah, you know, that's what all we we all want as coaches, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And what was the, you mentioned it wasn't the plan, and say 20 years ago, what was the plan back then when you were kind of doing a bit of coaching,
0: you were working in that other area, what what were you thinking? I actually don't know, I I probably didn't, I wasn't one of those people who really kind of knew uh, this is where I want to go, I was more of a person who, um, as I went along, the journey, the road moved and swerved Mm. and changed directions, and I kind of went with it, but would always be looking out ahead going, okay, what what can I do where I am now and who can I connect with that might help me be better in the future? So, um, and I kind of laugh about it because I had some, I had about seven or eight staff that worked with me in, in, uh, at Sport Canterbury where I was working before I came here. And um, I always used to talk to them about planning their planning out their their career and, and seeking out the right people and trying to open doors and you know I was definitely doing that but not not purposefully so it was just probably more by chance you know things come along and uh, the only one purposeful thing I did was go back to university and, and get get a sport management um, master's because I needed that to get back into mm-hmm. this the actual sport industry and, and out of education and it wasn't that I didn't want to be in education but I I had more passion to be in sport than, than education at that time um so yeah you know it's got a little bit of life's journey isn't it you kind of mm-hmm. i'm sure if someone had said to you 15 years ago you you that you're going to be podcasting you wouldn't have even known what it was let alone, yeah you know, so i think it's just being open to opportunities and seeking stuff and i think um you know I'm, i would consider myself to be a, a real learner and a sort of a curious person so i'm always trying to find out information and that's why I love listening to podcasts as well because it's such an awesome way to learn about things you may never ever get to be exposed to otherwise um and I was actually just a couple days ago listening to one about uh, a guy who swam 100k's and you know and I'm just I was so curious about how he did it and what his thought process was and his mindset Mm -hmm. and the mental side of it and all of that and yeah, you know, I might take one little snippet of listening to that and use it in my everyday job, but that might help one player here, and that's you know that's the curiosity factor, I guess.
1: Hundred mm. percent, yeah, hundred mm. percent. It's it's yeah,
0: I love podcasts well for that reason. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty lucky, I think, to live at a time in our lives when that, that happens, because you know, like I said, twenty years ago, it doesn't even exist, and, and I only actually got into them through. I had a really bad mountain bike accident a few years ago and um, I couldn't really handle reading or certainly couldn't handle screens or anything like that. And um, someone said to me, oh, you should listen to some podcasts. And then now I've kind of got addicted to it, so, which I think is a good thing because, you know, I run a lot. And um, so I listen to lots of different podcasts when I'm running. And um, again, it's relaxing for my mind, but I'm also educating myself at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I saw with the run-in last year, did you do uh, (laughs) 102K?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, Yeah, I've done a couple of those now. Um, Long story, but during lockdown, we uh, were trying to motivate the players and trying to, um, I guess, give them some inspiration. Um, So I said to a couple of the other staff, I said, look, I was going to do the Christchurch Marathon. So I said, what I'll do is I'll start training and we'll just... You know we'll just use my training mm-hmm. system as a little bit of motivation for the boys um and you know to see where it goes to from there and then so we sort of got started to get through that process and then um I connected in with some of the staff here and I said hey look I'm going to do this run I think it'd be really cool if we could do it for charity and so we and, and we decided on child cancer foundation would be a great recipient for some funding and especially through lockdown because they'd had so many challenges of, of because um, they're a completely donation funded organization so so anyway we we ran a marathon i ran and the boys came with me and did different shifts in the in the marathon because um, it was too far for, for them to run at that stage but um and it's just grown from there so the following year um we decided oh again i was going, i was turning 50 and i decided i'd do an ultra marathon I don't know why, but I just decided that it would be a good idea, um, and try and run 100K. So um, same thing happened. I trained, trained, trained. The race I was trained for got cancelled two, two and a half weeks beforehand. And I said to the, our um, commercial team here, I said, look, I'm not going to waste that training. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's use it for child cancer. So what we did is um, we, I ran around the block of Rugby Park and Melvin Park, which is a 1K loop or oh, not quite 1K, but just under um, 108 times. So it was a real mental wow. <laughs> challenge um, as well as the physical. And I was such a rookie. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, uh, I, remember I we, and we just wanted people to come in and, and experience it, run with us if they wanted to. And, and I had people, I think I did one, half of one map on my own and the rest of the time there was always different people. And my wish for the day was just to inspire someone some kids some adults and we were really you know i was so humbled because we had people who ran 30 and 40ks with me you know never run that far in their lives and didn't think they could even run that far um yeah so that was pretty cool and then but the bigger part of it was that we raised you know a decent chunk of money for for the child cancer foundation and and promoted them and gave them more profile and and then yeah earlier this year we did the same thing and I managed to get the race, finally get the race in that I wanted to do um, up in um, the Tarawera Ultra. It was a big old day at the office, about 14 hours of running, but it was so amazing. Yeah, And it, yeah, the mental, just the places you go mentally during 14 hours are, are kind of exciting, I think, for me. Oh, I, that's, I, I didn't do it for the physical challenge, I did it for the mental challenge.
1: Yeah. Unreal, unreal. Yeah. Yeah, and what's your week what's your training schedule like then now or say
0: away from a race um well I'm I train every day some kind of fitness every day and, and I try to train with the players as much as I can because I, I'm really a big believer and if you're going to ask the players to to work hard then you better mm. be prepared to do it yourself um and I can <laughs> funny what you remember from your old coaches isn't it I can remember some coaches standing on sidelines yelling and screaming at us yeah. when we were playing uh, or at training and I'm you know I'm running up and down the field going well why aren't you running you know kind yeah. of thing and, and I never want to be that I never want to be that coach so um, yeah I train with the boys as much as I can I'm getting too old to keep up with them in games and uh, stuff like that now but I'll still get out there and try and do my best and, and again I guess I'm trying to set an example for them of that I'm going to put myself in a place where I know I'm going to fail because I'm going to get run around and sidestepped but I'm still out there willing to have a go at it and you know I'm expecting you to do that as a player so I better be prepared to do it um, and then yeah run at the moment I'm running sort of two or three times a week just ticking over maybe sort of anywhere between five and thirteen k's a time um, I've got an event coming up later in the year which will be a marathon so I'll start properly training for that in the end of July but um, running is just a place for me where I'm really relaxed. Um, I can think clearly, um, stuff just pops into my head sometimes, you know, it's like, oh yeah, geez, that'd be a good idea and then you run a bit further and you get a bit more puffed and you go oh, maybe maybe I should adjust that a little bit but you know for me it gives me clarity um it, 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 yeah it's just a, a really relaxing time on um in my role um you know it can be from anywhere from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. that I'm in contact with people and my running is kind of my me space um mm-hmm. you know I, I don't always listen to podcasts but a lot of the time I do but um, know my phone will be on airplane mode and it's just about me then and that's my kind of private time and I've got a family so I've got to try and um, give them as much energy as I can when I'm at home but the role these roles are pretty consuming so you've got to be smart about how you kind of do that so yeah I love I love the running
1: what time of the day do you do it
0: uh most of the time early in the morning um so today I was out 6 a.m but um yeah, most of the time, yeah, around six, between six and seven thirty in the mornings. Um, when I was doing the ultra marathon training, um, the, that big runs, you're looking at sort of between three and six hours, seven hours maybe on a weekend, on a long run. So, you know, five, between five and five thirty am starts, just to get the most beautiful part of the day. You get the sunrise wherever you run around Christchurch. You're going to see it. Um, so getting that sunrise and that's pretty exhilarating, um, but yeah, I think it sets up my day pretty well. The old time I'll run in the evenings, but I'm usually pretty exhausted by the time I get away from here, mentally and mm. physically. Um, that you know that I probably would struggle to do it in the evenings very often.
1: Yeah, I love yeah. working out in the morning, and there's something I found uh, with say working out or pushing yourself physically. So like I started coaching about ten years ago, and I was playing as well. So like. I'd be playing and then coaching and then I could chat, like push players, challenge players or whatever, because I, I do it myself and I'm and they see me doing it if they want to and, and then when I stopped playing I f- found it a little bit challenging to ha be that way to players at times because I wasn't doing it myself and I'd stop concussions over six eight months. But then once I got, you know, working out as well or pushing yourself physically, I don't know, is it I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you feel that because you're doing that kind of stuff that you're then in a place to challenge players? And, and I think from the flip side then, like you said about when you run down the field and you're looking at that coach in silence shouting at you, what are you doing? You know what I mean? From a player, I, I, yeah. the exact same. I remember being like, who's he to tell me?
0: Yeah, I, I, 100% I agree, I think. I, I feel like... If I'm doing something, then I also understand, I'm understanding the challenges we're putting yeah. them through as well. Because, you know, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, a lot of what we do is mental, um, uh, I guess mentally conditioning our players. So if I'm putting myself under fatigue and having to think and mentally challenge mm. myself, then I understand what I'm asking them to do or what we're asking them to do. And um, I understand how, challenging it might be or how it's really hard when you've when you're when you're fatigued in a game to then be able to get your voice back or you know because if I'm standing on the sideline it's easy you know if I'm not puffed and I'm going well you're not talking why aren't you talking but if I'm out there running around and I'm feeling how hard the game is then I can have a much more legitimate conversation with them after the game about hey I noticed you were really quiet in that game why was that or what what could you do to be different um, yeah, you know, I've got an understanding of how hard the game was, and then if they say, "Oh, well, look, you know, the game was just so hard, I was completely gassed," and I can realistically go, "Yeah, okay, it was," or "Oh, actually," I'll, in my mind, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I'd be going, oh, "I didn't think it was as hard as that," so I might ask them a different question from that, or I might pose a different challenge, and I think that's so important, and and it's so. Um, it's just real isn't it it's mm. uh i'm not sure i can't think of the word right now but it's you, you know you're a real person to them to the players then and, and again you know we've all had our own experiences where we've just looked at our coach and gone Phew, what would you know because you you're not out here doing this you you know, i'm looking at you and you're you probably haven't been out there for 30 years you know which is what i haven't been as a player mm. um but I'm trying to put myself as close to physically doing that as I can without yeah, getting another concussion, <laughs> which I could do without. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I totally think that's important. Mm. And I love it. It's fun, too. You know, It's always good to challenge yourself against 19-, 20-year-olds and see if you can keep up. Beat them the other time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and an endurance, I might, I might be able to beat them, and that would be about it, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah and you mentioned the, the concussion there so you had to stop when you were 23 and then the mountain bike was out a concussion yeah, yeah and so how I suppose first how was that when you had to stop um, when you were 23
0: oh it was devastating yeah like physically and mentally like I, and back you know that's 27 years ago people didn't really understand no. concussion then no um, and I didn't understand it at all and um you know, when I look back now and know what I know now, um, I was probably, you know, having concussion symptoms, bad ones for maybe two years after but I didn't know it. Um, and then, yeah, recently, um, oh, five years, five years ago now, um, I had a really stupid mountain bike accident caused by myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had a full year of really rough, um, post concussion issues and um trying to work and and do all those things at the same time um but I was so much more equipped to deal with it because you know being uh, privileged enough to work in an environment like this I had really good physios around me but I had great mental um I guess um mentors mm-hmm. you know people who I was seeing working on an everyday basis with players were having the same issues as me and I, what I tried to do with it was I tried to use that uh what I was going through as a journey to help the players hmm. so every I guess everything that um that we as staff and our team try to do is use our own personal experiences as journeys for learning for the for the players so um you know I sat down and just openly talked to the whole group about some of the issues I was facing and you know, I couldn't actually sit on a, um, a um, stationary bike without feeling like I was going to mm. fall off it. You know, I wasn't even moving anywhere mm. and I felt my balance was so bad. Um, I couldn't walk around the block, around my house um, at all um, without vomiting and, and, you know, all those kind of things. And then, you know, what I, but what I tried to focus on with them was the journey of progress. So, you know, the first time I got to the corner of my street without vomiting and I'm like, you know, fist pumping and yeah, it's good, and that's a hundred metres. Like, yeah. And then the first time I got around the block, the same thing, and trying to talk to them about the journey of focusing on what you can do rather than what you can't do. Whereas when I was twenty three, I was all about what I couldn't do. Yeah. I was just like, I can't play rugby anymore, my life's ruined. Um that was you know that was my that was me, that was my identity, it was everything. Uh yeah, you know, and when you look back you go geez how naive was I but I just didn't know Mm. you know I had no idea I was young and and just no one had ever said any of that stuff to me and then here I had I was a lot older and I'd had the journey through that with with the mental skills providers we've got but you know being able to focus forward and and look at everything that I could do was just so satisfying And, and you know it sounds ridiculous to fist pump when you've walked 100 meters but for me that was a big achievement um it had taken me two weeks to get to that yeah. point um you know and then the, yeah you know, the first time i rode the track that i would fallen off on again well i didn't fall off i jumped and didn't land the jump well, i landed the jump on my head instead of on my bike <laughs> um you know the first time i did that i was so nervous and i can remember shaking and but i was just standing at the top of it going i've got to do this this is actually really important um you know, all those journeys were learning things and I just shared them with the boys, um, with the players here and hopefully for some of our guys that was useful to them and I know um, one of the players who's who's now playing um, in another club, he, he was going through really bad concussion symptoms at the same time I was and we just shared the journey and we'd just talk about the issues we faced and um, hopefully it's helped him. He's, he's What well, he's playing is fourth, third or fourth season of super rugby now and you know hopefully that's helped him somewhere along the line and it's certainly helped me talking to him because i was mm-hmm. learning stuff from him as as much as he was learning from me
1: brilliant that's yeah. really inspiring yeah mm. and yeah thanks for sharing that and it's something that i when i was about 15 months ago got my concussion had stopped playing same probably the exact same that you had when you were 23 like Very similar, although I had a previous bad experience with shoulder injury. But um, the media, I think it's the world over, they they like to what's the word? But show the worst examples of anything. Mm. And so I remember when I got my concussion and the symptoms. Like I, I genuinely handle her. Used to think people were soft when like eight ten ten years ago. You know, yeah. And you hear people retiring. I'm like, I've got, I've got load of concussions, and I'm always fine, and they just don't want it enough, and whatever. I was. Ignorant and all that, and stupid. But when I got mine, the symptoms like he- pounding headaches every day for six months, and just like not able to sleep and everything, and just couldn't lift uh, anything. And just but then when I read or I see on Twitter, I read these stories, these like horror stories, mm. you know. And they're not, I'm not saying they're not real, of course, but. Like you saying that you've now ran, you're running ultra marathons and you're as sharp as they come like chatting to you here and, and you know and you're you're doing this job and you're, you have a family and all that and I talked to another guy Dave Scattered in the podcast who was an ice hockey player and he did an Ironman but he had got like five concussions and had, like like that was vomiting couldn't walk a hundred meters without getting sick and and so I think that yeah this rugby and all these different sports now we have more understanding around concussion and it's great and it's like pull people off and we manage them but i think there's so many more stories like yours like dave scatcher like i chatted to that of people who go through these tough things and then come back to do incredible things and and live proper lives whereas genuinely last year i was like i had to like get off my phone and stuff because i was like that side of things just reading that was making me worse and worse and worse yeah
0: it's um yeah it's such a sounds funny but it's such a mental game right yeah. the concussion because you know it's not like you when you do your acl and you know oh it's going to be nine months mm. of recovery and this yeah. is the process i'm going to go through yeah. um, the concussion could be two weeks or it could be it could be two years yeah. and, and that's the most challenging part of of concussion and post concussion concussive um, symptoms and all of those things and and all I tried to do and um was like I said was focused on going forward and what I could do but also finding my triggers Mm -hmm. and and you know just listening to you say then about you know you had to get off your phone or you had to stop reading Mm -hmm. stuff about um the sort of negative side of it and 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 for me that was that that's just learning through experiencing and I I was the same you know I Look, I started to listen to a couple of podcasts about it, and then I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's not a good idea." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I moved on, you know, quickly, and I've still got James Graham's podcast on my list, and I have not listened to it at all yet. I, I want to, and I'm in a place where I could now, um, but I'm still kind of going, oh, "Not sure if I want to open up that camp because it's hard, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, really, um, it's a lonely journey because no one sees." What you're going through and um you know my my wife has got a reasonably good understanding of what i went through but she you know she probably Mm. knows 60 percent you know really the rest the other 40 percent, you just can't explain to Mm. anyone and no matter how empathetic someone is or how they care about you um you just can't actually explain what you're going through and until you talk to another person who's gone through a similar kind of process so yeah it's um yeah it's a really, um, it, it's a, it, it can be really debilitating but at the same time it can open so many doors for you and I think that's the, the luck I have of working in this environment because everything here is kind of focused on opportunity and, and that's what I talk to the boys about is okay what's the opportunity here, okay you're injured, what's the opportunity that you've mm. got now to, to grow yourself and I kind of just had to do that. To myself you know because i'm going well i'm talking to this to the boys about this all the time then you need to do it yourself as well you know um but it, it's still hard yeah mm. and, and that especially those first few months when you really don't know what's going on you don't know how long it's going to last you, you're always I, I remember i was always trying to go right when's this going to finish mm. and it wasn't until i kind of got to the point of accepting that hey i'm actually never going to be who I was before this accident um but I can be so I can be so much better than I was Mm -hmm. in so many other areas but my memory is not great you know I still there's stuff I forget all the time and um (laughs) there'll be times where I'll see a person you know in the street and I know I know them but I just can't remember their name and and names are really challenging it's partly because of the role I'm in because I I see and meet so many people Mm -hmm. but Partly it's the concussion as well, and then I'm just looking at them going, oh, I just say it, I go, hey, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. I've too many head knocks, and, and you know, people kind of look at you when you say that, and they kind of smile awkwardly, and, and then it's done, you know, and you can just move on. But, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's really tough, that, that whole, people can't see what's going on with you. Yeah, big time. injury. It's not like they can see the cast on your leg when you've got a broken leg, but they can't see your head injury.
1: Yeah, big time. And yeah, like I said, it's tough in that way, but then good in others. Like you're saying, one for me was helped me appreciate life more, like I already did,
0: but even more. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know you would do this as well. You talk about being present, Hmm. you know, and that's, I think that made me so much more present. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because you do, you just appreciate the little things of, you know, like I was saying to the boys you know uh, we've got one who's broken his leg and he's got a big rod in his leg and I said you're just going to be so stoked when you can walk without the crutches and he's kind of looking at me going oh yeah okay and I say believe me you will be because it's all the little things in life that you we all took for granted we've always had yeah. and then all of a sudden you don't have it and when you if you're lucky enough to get it back you go oh yeah this is this is awesome yeah, yeah. watching tv you know was not something that I really enjoyed that much or that and i couldn't do it for probably three months uh, at all but you know being able to watch a game on tv oh it was so good yeah <laughs> okay this is great um now i
1: watch 20 a day but it's okay <laughs> yeah thanks so for your time one um last question so what do you look for when you're
0: recruiting into the academy yeah that's it's an awesome question i think because I think most people would kind of think, oh, yeah, skills, athleticism, and all that. That's part of it, um, absolutely. But what sets the guys apart that the, that we want to bring in are the two things I talked about early on in the podcast. Was one is their work ethic. So mm. you know, what, how hard are they prepared to work for the team? You know, are they prepared? If they're a forward, you know, tight forward, are they prepared to chase back on a kick to be the guy who's who cleans the ruck that the fullback you know, creates um, from when he's taken the ball and gets tackled. Um, are they the person who's willing to go the extra mile for the guy beside them um, to help them out? Are they willing to do the, just the grunt work that's no glory but you know, it needs to be done somewhere? So that's number one, work ethic, and then number two is their, um, what I call their sort of vulnerability or their ability to to learn or that growth mindset that you you talked about earlier. Uh, If you've got that, or you've got parts of it and you're willing to have more of it, then you're going to take advantage of all of the opportunities that get put in front of you. The coaching, the conversations, the mental skills, the nutritionist, all of those people. If you're open to learning and you're that way inclined then geez you could the world's your worst at, right and they're the 2 they're generally the two things that i look at there's some other little bits and pieces but they're kind of just incidental those are the num- number one in, in that order number one and number two
1: yeah. that's cool because when you're what you're saying there like i know players often are very self-centered and You didn't just say hard work. You said how hard they're willing to work for the team, and then you went on. You said how hard they're willing to work for the person next to them. And so true, yeah. When as a player, when you take yourself out of yourself, and you actually are working for the team and the other players, you actually perform much
0: better. Also, yeah,
1: as a byproduct.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I still, I tell the boys this story all the time. Is I remember Richie Manga when he was 19 years old, and we were running some uh, some really difficult steer steer running here in Christchurch, and um, as a training session on a Friday night, and I remember it was a really tough session. It was hot, and the boys were you know they were really hurting, and I can remember Richie the whole way up the stairs just talking, 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 come on boys, encouraging them, and he was running you know just like the rest of us were, and um, know we I don't know we did about 10 repeats and the whole time he was just talking 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 to them and then at the end he goes boys boys this is this is what we live for every day you know but he goes the reason I'm talking is he goes I'm hurting as much as you guys but he goes one it takes the pain away from me and it gives you energy Mm. and he goes that's why I'm doing it he goes it's not there's no other reason and I still to this day remember those words from him and he probably won't remember if you asked him he probably wouldn't remember that session because he's done thousands of them but you know to me that was the antithesis of, of what we look for in a player is they're willing to hurt themselves but better the guy beside them at the same time And I just think that's a magical quality for a young man to have
1: 100% well oh, brilliant thanks so much for your time been unreal
0: no worries it's awesome to be here
1: Thanks for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain like i was on a roller coaster but then when i began developing and harnessing my mind it felt like i'd absolutely cracked the code now i work one-on-one with players and yes i help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak but i also help you expand your mind and grow as a person You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring, and it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with 101 for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increase contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled, and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, On the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review, and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people, so thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks a mil for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.